<clears throat> so let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read a few verses uh, from Luke chapter 5. So Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 27, um, but before we do that, it says up on the screen behind me, Arizona trip, okay? So what I wanted to do before we read the Bible is to look at some pictures from Arizona. So if you've been on Facebook, you'll have seen some things. If you're not on Facebook, then I'm going to show you some pictures. So I'm going to ask Nathan to click through these for me, not at the moment though, because this is Dave in Roxy Beach. Um, I don't know if you remember Dave and Roxy being here in 2016, and Dave was speaking in the church. Um, so that's who hosted us when Mary and I were over in Arizona. Um, so very good friends. Um, we spent pretty much most of our time in Arizona with this couple, in fact, all of our time with this couple. Um, and the, the, just, the fellowship was just amazing. Um, and that kind of works both ways, I, I really think. Um, but sometimes just God brings people into your life, and it's like there's a, a connection, there's a life link with somebody. Uh, my friend Peter Cochran uses that phrase, life link. And when we met back in 2007, there was just a connection happened then, a life link, and we've remained friends, uh, mostly through uh, the internet and stuff like that, and through the odd phone call. Um, but <clears throat> they were over here with a team in 2007. And we did some incredible things in the town and in the school. We were really blessed to, to work together. Um, we, Andrew and I went out to Arizona in 2009. Um, so, sorry, they were here 2006. Andrew were out and I were in Arizona 2009. And Dave was here in 2016. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of felt uh, at the tail end of last year as I was praying about things that uh, I had to phone Dave and just to chat through some things about where we're at as a church and to see if there was a connection and, and, and if uh, they could help us and we could help them, in, in fact, as well. And th that door really opened up. And on the 6th of February, uh, we received an email. January. January. I keep saying that. I can't help it. <laughs> on the 6th of January, we received an email uh, from these guys saying, look, we want you to come out. There were some other people supposed to be coming out, but they can't make it, but you're still welcome. And I'm like, okay, we need passports. Um, I really feel that the passports came uh, at just the right time, and we were able to take the trip. So that, that's our host. Um, next slide, please, Nathan. Uh, the lady that we're staying with is a lady called Karen. She serves in the church, and boy, does she serve in the church. She has a heart for the church. She really has a heart for the church. It was incredible just to watch Karen at work in the church and see how she serves. So she was our host, and she spoiled us with cookies and snickerdoodles. If you don't know what a snickerdoodle is, I'm going to try and make some, and I'll bring them along <laughs> on a Sunday. Next slide, please, Nathan. Uh, for day one and two, so uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we were at a conference called Dream Conference, which is in this church here, which is uh, the Dream Center. Um, it used to be Phoenix First uh, Assemblies of God. Um, this is only half of the, the campus, the, the ground that the church occupies. Uh, it's changed a lot even since I was there, um, all the solar panels out the front. Just a massive, massive church. And so we were up at six o'clock in the morning getting ready to get out to conference. Um, so for all those people who say, did you have a nice holiday? I'm just challenging your misconceptions. Um, and we had a full day of conference and then lots and lots of meetings. Just let's flick through the, the slides, Nathan. This is Pastor Tommy Barnett. He's the founding pastor of this church. Oh no, he's not the founding pastor. 
he's the, the guy who kind of led the church in the last number of years um, and he really caused it to grow. So it was him uh, sharing at conference. Next slide, please. <clears throat> and uh, so Wednesday, Thursday, uh, on the Tuesday, Wednesday, on the Thursday, we went to another conference, um, which was all about uh, building a resilient church and looking at the whole area of kind of mental health and how that affects us and how the church should respond to that. And uh, you can see Dave kind of in the middle there speaking. Um, the man at the front here is called Sang Hoon. We met with Sang Hoon over uh, a cup of coffee and really chatted with him about the things that are in his heart as well. Next slide, please, Nathan. And uh, when we were in this building, this is the kids' building. They had a building just for the kids, okay? And this is how you got from the top floor down to the bottom floor, okay? There were stairs as well. I took the stairs because I was so zoned out with uh, jet lag that day. Uh, I thought, I don't have the energy even for that. Uh, but I just thought it was fantastic to see uh, just how church is done in a different place and on a bigger scale as well. So I think we could maybe get one of them to come down for the crash. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Um, on the Friday, we had a number of meetings with people uh, starting up here in uh, uh, Queen Creek. So the church that we visited is Ascend Church. They have three campuses. This is the Queen Creek campus. There's another building on this side, which is used for a kind of, uh, it's, it's a facility for people with special needs. And this is their, their church building. Uh, next slide, please, Nathan. This is the Guadalupe campus. Uh, as you can see, all set out for church. And then next one is the new building that uh, these guys have bought uh, in downtown Tempe. Uh, so they're all kind of in a similar area, the south uh, east part of uh, Phoenix. Next slide, Nathan. You'll see inside of that building, the whole place has been stripped out. Um, and yes, there's a toilet in the middle of the floor for those who are observant. Uh, that'll be coming out, okay? <laughs> but this is the room which they're going to refurbish and use for church. At the moment, they're in uh, rented accommodation. I'll show you a picture of that in a little second. But the plan is to, so the top right building is that building where you see it all stripped out. There's another building that's got another big massive room stripped out and ready to refurbish as well as offices. And all of this land uh, to the left here is theirs as well. And they plan to build a new building uh, um, just in God's time, really. Uh, but the, the first stage is to refurbish the buildings that they've got and then really to open things up. So incredible. Or some of the team who were here in 2000. Um, on the Saturday night, we had a reunion. This is the team or some of the team who were here in 2006. Um, they were all kind of like 18 and 19 then. Now they're all up and have their own kids, as you can see. Uh, so it was just great to, to meet up with these guys and really to connect and uh, really to actually get the opportunity to pray for some of them as well. There's one of the girls who was on that team who was really sick. Um, and we ended up doing our usual kind of Sunday hospital visit thing and uh, actually getting in and praying for this girl. And uh, we, we continue to pray for her. We really saw God do something that time we prayed for her. And the next again day, she was getting out of hospital. Um, but she just has issues that we need to keep praying for her for. So let's keep going, please, Nathan. This is where church is meeting just now. It's a temporary uh, location. It's, in, it's right next to the Arizona State University. Next slide, please, Nathan. And this is them setting out for church. Uh, so getting things set up as we do for church. Similar kind of size to us. And uh, I, I wanted to put that picture up just to illustrate something. If you look to the far right of that picture where Michael's just putting out a chair, there's something sitting on the back chair there. What is it? It is a piece of wood. And people are looking at me strange because in this church we have a piece of wood 
to help us to get the seats set out in the right... <laughs> I was like, I'm amazed. I've come 6,000 miles to find that they use a piece of wood to set out the chairs. I just thought that was amazing. I was like, yes, we've got something in common. Uh, so we had church on Sunday. Um, as I say, we went uh, to, to visit somebody in hospital. We went to pray for her. And then we continued up to, to Flagstaff, where we stayed overnight, and we went to see the Grand Canyon. What an incredible sight it was. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and then on our uh, last day, on Tuesday, we had three meetings, um, the last of which was in this church, which is called Radiant Church. It's a massive, massive building, but it's also a massive church on this, this is just kind of one of their campuses. They have multiple campuses. This is inside the church. This is the foyer. This is the lobby area. It has a coffee shop. Keep flicking through, Nathan. Uh, there's Mary in, uh, in the foyer. And the coffee shop, yes, with a professional coffee machine and all that kind of stuff. This is the baptismal tank in the church. And so they're baptizing people regularly. Um, they don't do it the way we do it because there are so many people getting baptized, they can't. Uh, they have this big, massive portable baptismal pool, and people go in one end, get baptized, and come out the other end. And so it was just incredible to see that. Next slide, please. The hall was set out for 900 people, but it can actually be set out for 1,500. I was like, man, this is amazing. It's just massive. Um, and I think that's maybe the last slide, Nathan, is it? Yes, it is. That's the last slide. Um, but just, we had an incredible time there. Um, there was lots and lots of meetings with people, lots and lots of connections, which was really the purpose of going, was to meet people and to look at maybe how we can work together. Um, and we don't know what that looks like yet, um, but there's a real sense that God is doing something there. He's doing something here. Uh, I really feel that God's moving us into a new season. We're in a new season. God wants to do new things in this place. And I really feel that uh, you know, well, we went to church on the Sunday, and this lad got up to share. They'd been having a week of prayer in the university campus, and when he started to share, I started to hear the things which I've been hearing God saying here as well, and I got really excited about that. Um, he got really excited as well because he was supposed to share for five minutes, and he shared for 25 minutes. <laughs> I was eating into my sermon time, um, but that's another story. But it was exciting to hear that God is doing things not just here in this church, not just in this church, but other churches across our nation, and not just in our nation, but in nations across the world. And I think God is uh, trying to get the church positioned so that we're able to do something new and different, to see something that we've not seen before. And really, that's the purpose of this message today as well as new wine, new wineskins. And so let's read from Luke chapter 5. And it's called Jesus Calls Levi. It's when Jesus comes along to the tax collector. His other name is Matthew, by the way. And uh, in verse 27, it says, After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Um, next slide, please, Nathan. Uh, there's Levi sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Next slide, Nathan. And Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining for the meal with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, 
to them, those who are healthy do not have need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there's something really interesting in this passage that is for us today that we need to hear. And sometimes we think that Jesus has come only for us, solely for us, because we're here, we're in church. Jesus has come to save us, but He has come to save everybody. He has come to save the world. What is John chapter 3, verse 16? God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die, not just for us, not just for people who are good, because there are good people. We read in the Bible that all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard, God's glory, yes. But even within that, there are people who are good people, but they still need a Savior. Let's go on to read from verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, likewise also the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours are eating and drinking. So he said to them, you're not able to make the bridegroom's attendance, and he's talking about the disciples, and he's talking about the church, fast as long as the bridegroom, who is Jesus, is with them, are you? And he asks a question. Then verse 35 says, but days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Next slide, please. Mm, no, back a slide. Just leave it there. That's fine now. Oh, it is the next slide. Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> verse 36, and he also told a parable to them. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. Otherwise, he will have torn the new also, and the old will not match the patch that it's from. Next slide, please, Nathan. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the wineskins, and it will be spilled, and the wineskins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And this passage which we're reading is recorded in each of the three Gospels, but in Luke's Gospel, there's an extra little bit on the end. And this is what Luke records. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is just fine. There's a commentary on the church. God wants to do something new, and we say, actually, I'm quite happy with the old, thank you very much. I'm quite happy with the way things are. I'm quite happy with the status quo. I'm quite happy with church the way it is. I don't want it to change. I remember as a teenager, in fact, younger than that, as a child, I remember as a child having these overwhelming feelings that life was changing and things were changing around about me. And I was like, I don't want life to change. I want everything to stay the way it is. And sometimes we can be like that in church as well. We don't want things to change. We want things to stay the way they are because we're familiar with that and we're comfortable with that. We'll come back on to talk about that in a minute. In this passage, the old garment and the old wineskins are referring 
Uh, I'm going to just try and explain what this passage means and just open it up a little bit before I, I, I draw some meaning from it for us today. The old garment and the old wineskins talk about the law. They talk about the old covenant or the old agreement between God and His people. The new patch and the new wineskin represent God's new agreement, the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And when Jesus and the disciples are being quizzed, the surface issue is about fasting. But I'd like to suggest that underneath the surface issue, there's a shadow issue of self-righteousness and judgment based on the law. And it's so easy for the church to become self-righteous and to become judgmental about the people that need to come in to the kingdom. We put burdens on people as the Pharisees did, and we expect them to live up to some sort of expectation where they have no idea what we're talking about. And then Jesus tells them this story. But I'm going to just go through the passage. and Let me read a few verses and then just open it up for us. You see, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and make prayers. Likewise, also the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours are eating and drinking. And in these days, the people would fast, the religious people would fast two days a week. When we had 21 days of prayer, we fasted. We fasted two days a week. Don't know if you noticed that. Hopefully you did. The people in Jesus' day were fasting two days a week. They had religious fervor and zeal. And one commentator has suggested that the Feast of Levi, which we're talking about, they're sitting down round Levi's table with the tax collectors and sinners. And somebody has suggested that that might have taken place on one of those fast days. And so everybody else, all the religious people are fasting, and here's Jesus with his disciples sitting with the tax collectors and sinners. And what rises up within but judgment? How dare you? How dare you? So he said to them, you are not able to make the bridegroom's attendance fast as long as the bridegroom is with them, are you? And Jesus asks them a question. And the way that the Greek text is organized indicates that Jesus expected a negative reply. In other words, of course you don't fast at a wedding. Duh. That was the kind of response Jesus was expecting when he asked that question. Of course you don't. Who's ever been to a wedding and the, the bride and the groom have said, well, we're going to fast today, we're going to pray? And you'd be like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> what kind of wedding's this? You can't be a wedding to celebrate. But Jesus speaks over the heads of the Pharisees all the time because Jesus understands the Scriptures, He understands the words of the Law and the Prophets, and He interprets them correctly into His time and for our time as well. Jesus' emphasis is always on the spiritual over the ritual and over ceremony. Here's the problem in church. We get tied up with religion and we get tied up with ceremony and we forget that there's a Spirit of God who wants to come and breathe life into us and to do the things that He wants to do. And yet we get caught up in our way of doing things. We get caught up in the religion. But Jesus is ushering in a new day, a new time, a day of God's grace. He likens himself to a bridegroom, and he sees at this point what others can't. He sees the church. He sees the bride of Christ. He also recognizes that the Pharisees won't have any jurisdiction over the church. Where did the new converts come from to start with? They came from within the Jewish community. 
So Jesus saw some people come to faith. There were 120 people in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And who was saved? The 3,000 people who were gathered there were gathered for a feast. They were all there for a Jewish feast. And it was Jewish people that get saved first. But the problem is when the Gentiles started to come to faith, the Jewish people were trying to put heavy burdens on them. They were trying to insist that they be circumcised and they observe this and that and the next thing. And this is what Paul says in Galatians because he begins to speak into that. And he actually, he gives the Galatians a row. He says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Galatians chapter 3 he goes on to say in verses 1 and 2, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? I came to become a Christian not because of doing good and right things, but by hearing that Jesus had died for me, he had died for my sin, and that he had come to provide a way for me to have a relationship with God by simply acknowledging that sin, becoming uh, one and right with God through Jesus, and that's what I did. But the problem is, as you go on in your Christian faith, it, be, it can become about rules. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do the next thing. And, and yes, there's an area where it is about change, it's about observing the law in one sense, but it comes from inside out as the Holy Spirit does His work in His. The Bible talks about the work of the Holy Spirit being sanctification. The work of the Holy Spirit after we're saved is to set us apart, to make us clean, to make us pure, to make us holy. But it's an inside out work. It's not something we do by just going down a list of rules and say, well, I've done that today, I've not done that today, I've not done that today, oops, I've not done that today, am not I a bad person? It's about the Holy Spirit coming in and empowering us and equipping us to live the way that God wants us to, the way that He has designed us to. Verse 35 says, but the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And Jesus is making a reference, veiled though it is, to his crucifixion and subsequent return to heaven at the ascension. But the wonderful truth is that in two, where 120 people were gathered in one place, that's a, a place maybe the size of this, maybe smaller, but they were there not just together in body, but they were there with the same mind. They were there because Jesus had commanded them to wait on the Holy Spirit who would come. They were there, and the Bible says in one translation, they were of one accord, one mind, one spirit, one purpose. We know that the Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians, and Jesus had already breathed into the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, but they were waiting on something else coming. They were waiting on this experience where they would be endued with power. The church is the place where God has invested His Holy Spirit. The church is the place where the kingdom of God comes. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than He did about anything else. The church is the place where God wants to come and meet those who live on the earth. The church is not a building. Some of those big buildings that we saw there, that's not the church. 
That's just a means to an end. This building is just a means to an end. You are the church. If the Holy Spirit lives within you, you are the church. Is everybody tracking? Are we all on the same page? Give me a nod if you're with me, okay? I just need to check because some of you are looking a bit tired. I'm the one with jet lags, remember? (laughs) What excuse have you got? And then Jesus begins to use this parable. And we often think that Jesus uses parables to explain things the way that we would use illustrations and object lessons. If you've ever done kids' talks, you use an object lesson to explain the thing that you're trying to get across. And sometimes we think that that's why Jesus used parables. But if you actually look at the Gospels, that's not why Jesus used parables. Because the meaning, the real meaning, was hidden more often than not to the people. The disciples would come and ask, by the way, see that thing you were just talking about? What did you mean by that? And then Jesus would begin to explain to the disciples who had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying. And the reality is that we need God to reveal truth to us today. We need the Holy Spirit in us to reveal truth to us, including the truth that's in God's Word as we read it 2,000 years after the fact. And this is the parable that he said, no one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, He will have torn the new also, and the old will not match the patch that is from the new. And when Jesus talks about an old patch, an old uh, old garment, sorry, he's not, not talking about something that's old from the point of view of time, but old from the point of view of use. And I brought along an illustration today. I've just talked about illustrations and how that's not what the parables are about, but I brought along an illustration, okay? Old from the point of view of use, okay? Now, this is a t-shirt, right, which is old from the point of view of time, okay? This is an under t-shirt. This is one that you wear when you're out walking, and I have had this, and still have this, and it still fits me. I've had this since I was a teenager, right? So, old from the point of view of time, okay? I've had this garment a long time, and it's looking a bit worn, and, but it still works, it still takes the sweat away from your body and takes it to the next layer. That's what it's designed to do. But I also have another garment which is old from the point of view of use. And you could argue with time as well, right? I got this t-shirt when I was in Arizona in 2009. There, it's got a hole in the back of the neck. It's got holes in it, okay? Right, it's got a hole under there. It's got a hole in the back of the neck. It's got a hole under there. So can you believe that I still wear that? old garments. Now, what would it look like if I had to take something off of Josh's t-shirt, which is a new t-shirt from Arizona, and try and patch this up? Would it look right? It wouldn't look right, would it? It would look a bit odd. Not only would this look odd, it would waste his t-shirt as well, okay? And I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to get at here. You can't take the old thing and try to make it fit into the new thing. And what the the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to get the old thing, the old covenant, the law, to fit into the new thing that Jesus is doing, and it's never going to work. It's never going to work. I'm still not going to throw it out, Mary. I'm keeping it. And this is what one translation says. No one sews a patch consistent of unfilled cloth upon a worn-out garment. Otherwise, that which fills it up takes, it, takes away from it, and the new from it the new from the worn out and the torn becomes worse. And it's this whole process of putting 
cloth onto a patch that's already stretched, it's already been subject to all sorts of processes that make it stretch out so that when you put it on as a patch, it doesn't shrink and waste the garment. You know, we've, we've kind of lost what it means, it's some of the meaning of these parables, because when we have things that wear out, what do we do? We just bin it and we buy a new one, okay? This is a community where people wouldn't have binned it and bought a new one, they would have made made, uh, made a, 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 a mend on, on the thing that was worn. And so they were familiar with what Jesus would be talking about here. Whereas we, we just kind of bin stuff and we move on to the, the latest thing. And it kind of really calls into question our ethics about how we spend our money and how we shop and who makes our clothes. Just that's an aside. You know, are they made in sweatshops? And are people being treated as slaves so that we can wear something? That's, that's an aside. <laughs> but the point is that garments wear out, clothes wear out. And in Jesus' time, what he was saying was that the old system has worn out. The old system of the law, where they would have sacrifices and they'd kill animals to, to make blood sacrifices, all that stuff had had its day. It had a purpose in its time. But what Jesus was, he was coming to fulfill the law and to do something new. And he was ushering in a new covenant, a new agreement. And Paul articulated this as he wrote to the church. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, Galatia, and Corinth. And this is what he said about this new way, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 10, where he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. He's created us anew. Not the old garment, not the old thing with its holes in it. He's made a new creation. That's what he goes on to say to the Galatians. It doesn't matter, in chapter 6, verse 15, it says it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation, a new person. And he says the same to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And there's something in that for us as Christians that we need to think about. If we are a new creation, why sometimes are we still struggling with the old ways that we used to live? Interesting question, eh? Why do we still struggle with things? But the reality is that we've been made a new creation. And then he goes on to say, no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the wineskins and it will be spilled and the wineskins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. It's a similar illustration. Jesus talked about the effect of putting new wine into an old wineskin. Again, it's an alien concept for us because we don't use animal skins to keep wine in any longer. We have bottles to keep wine in. And if there was a problem with it, it would be fine. But not here, because it was put into an animal skin, which would stretch as the wine was fermenting. 
the newly formed ferment wine in a hardened wineskin isn't going to work because what is going to happen when it begins to expand is that that hardened wineskin is going to break and not only will we lose the wineskin, the wine will be spilled all over the place. And it makes me think about what God might be saying to us as a church. It's very easy to become hardened and to become set in our ways. The older we get, the easier it is to become hardened and set in our ways. And the question really is, when we become hardened and set in our ways, are we really able to receive the thing that God wants to do in us and through us? If God is talking about entering into a new season, and I think He is, I believe He is, I believe we've entered into a new season, and God wants to do new things, and we continue to be hard in our hearts, and we continue to hold on to the old ways of doing things, the things that are familiar to us, then maybe, maybe we will not be in the place to really handle and to hold the thing which God wants to do. There's this last little bit in Luke that he records in verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is just fine. Think about that. I think what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you're quite happy with the old way of doing things. You're quite happy with the law. You're quite happy with your rituals, with your routines, with your ceremonies, with your sacrifices. You're quite happy with that. But I'm about to do a new thing. All of those sacrifices and all of the stuff that that represents is going to be fulfilled in me because I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to be punished and I'm going to die and I'm going to take upon myself the sins of the world and I'm going to be the Lamb of God that we sing about in the songs. John identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the pure and spotless Lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf. And what he was saying is, this is a new day. There's a new thing happening. And it's for people who want to enter into that new thing, not be stuck in the old ways of doing things. I just think that's really interesting. I'd never noticed that before. The old wine is just fine. It actually rhymes. The old wine is just fine. And I'll tell you what happens to churches where they say the old wine is just fine. In the churches where they say the old wine is just fine, they begin to dwindle in numbers, and there comes a point in time where they shut the door. And I heard a story about somebody locally who said, keep the place going until I'm away, and then you can shut the door. That's a true story. There's a church building in the village in which I live, which is now houses. There are church buildings up and down the length and breadth of this country, which are houses or rock climbing centers or nightclubs. I look at our friends in Livingston who've taken over a nightclub to make it church, and I think, yeah, maybe God's doing a new thing. But if all we want to say is the old wine is just fine, 
then that's our destiny, that's our future. I'd like to suggest that for you and I as the church, this isn't the church. You and I are the church, and God's wanting to do a new thing in the church, and we need to be flexible in order to receive the thing which He wants to do. If we are happy to stick with the old way of doing things, and let me say, I'm not, (laughs) then we need to put up with the consequences of that. Because the consequences of sticking to the old way of doing things is that we'll close the door. But what about for you as an individual? You are a new creation in Christ. Yes. Yes. A new creation in Christ. You are a new, you're already a new creation in Christ from God. But are you ready to receive the new things from God? New things that God wants to do. New things that God wants to show you and reveal to you in order to move into the purpose which He has for this church. The danger is that we pray to God and ask Him to do a new thing, not realizing that at this point in time we're not ready to receive it. And sometimes, and I'm not saying this all the time, but sometimes God allows us to go through circumstances to go through experiences that shape us into what we really need to be in order to receive from Him. And we don't like going through those processes. We don't like going through difficult times. But sometimes God has to take us through those difficulties until we come to the point where we say, okay, enough's enough. Enough's enough. Something needs to change. You see, we would rather live on the mountaintop One of the things in that picture I showed you, the first picture of the church, behind that there's a a prayer mountain where people go up to the top of the mountain and they pray. Well, they say it's a mountain. It's more more of a molehill, if you ask me. We got halfway up and Dave said to me, oh, that's us, we're at the top now. I'm like, hmm, the top's up there. (laughs) Wait, keep going. But we want to live on the mountaintop. We want life to be fine and rosy all the time, but the reality is that life isn't always fine and rosy, and things happen in our lives, sometimes by our invitation, sometimes not, sometimes it's circumstances, sometimes God is orchestrating things to bring us to a place where we say to Him, I just want more of you. And it's sometimes in that process of getting ready that we can faint, but the reality is that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and in control. And we need to lean into all that He has for us, even in the difficult times. In the difficult times, we'll learn patience, we'll learn endurance. I've already spoken about how the fact that we've had difficult times as a church over the last five years. We've had difficulties, and we can't kid on that they didn't happen. But what are the difficulties producing in us? Are they producing vessels, people that God can pour Himself into? What about us as a church, collectively? You see, even that which is new becomes familiar. Even the old and worn out. You see, we don't think of ourselves as Pentecostals as being religious. That's for the other church down the road. They're the religious ones. Do you get what I'm saying by that? We're not religious. We don't have all these forms and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, that we have a way of doing things just like everybody else. And that way of doing things is religious. 
I saw a car in, in America, Cadillac, and on the back it said, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. And I was like, yay, I took a picture of that. I thought, I like that. But that relationship can become about religion. Maybe there's another slide, Nathan. Oh, why? That's the one. Our focus turns from, meth, from the mission into the methods that we do things, the, the way in which we do thing, things. This is our, our mission statement, to be Christ-centered, to, to be community-focused. And really, it means to reach people for Jesus, to win people for Jesus, to grow people. Statement. That's the heart of every church. People. That's our mission statement. That's the heart of every church. Thanks for moving on to the next slide, Nathan, because really, when we look at that in this way, it's about reaching people. Those people will be one for Jesus. Those people being grown into disciples and serving what? Serving to see more people being reached, to see more people being saved, and to see more people become disciples, that they might serve and reach others. That's why we're here as a church today. That's why we're here, because somebody reached somebody with the gospel. That person responded to the gospel. That person grew as a disciple, and that person reached somebody else with that message. And so it has went on and on and on throughout time, and we are here today as a result of that. And every single church, the big ones that we saw in America, the small ones that we saw in America, we all have the same mission. There's our little church building there, right in the middle top of the picture, taking picture, taking it jump for a day. And I have a strong sense that God wants to do a new thing in us, in this little group of people, that our purpose is to reach people for Jesus, to see people come to know Jesus, and to see people grow, and to see people who will give of themselves who will become servants who embrace the mission of Jesus to go, not just into this town that we live in, but the surrounding villages, the surrounding towns, and also into our nation and into our world. Are we really able to contain what God wants to do? That's the challenging question. Are you and I, as the church in this place, at a place where we're hungry enough to be able to change enough, to be able to let go of the old enough to say, I want the new thing that you want to do in this area, in this town? And my sense as I've been waiting on God these last number of months is that we're not quite there yet. You see, sometimes we can be some become so focused on the way that we do things, the method, that we take our eyes off of the mission. We become so focused on doing church and making sure that this happens and making sure that connect groups happen and kids happen and youth happens and food bank happens and answer happens. We get so focused on making sure all of this stuff happens that we lose sight of the mission, which is the, the reality that people who don't know Jesus are going to an undone eternity. And we lose sight of that mission, and we put the, we, we just get our focus all wrong. 
There was a point in time where people used to travel around our nation on horses, and then they had horses and carts. And for years and years and years, they traveled on horses and carts. And then one day, somebody had this bright idea of inventing a motor car. And they used to drive around at five miles an hour with somebody with a wee red flag in front of them, right? <laughs> These days, <laughs> you'd be lucky to keep up. In fact, motor cars these days can travel at incredible speeds. I'd quite like to have a shot. The mission is to get from A to B. The mission is traveling. The method has changed over the years. Nowadays, we can get in a plane and fly to the other side of the world. The methods have changed, but the mission remains the same as to travel. Our mission has remained unchanged for hundreds of years. It's to reach people with the gospel. It's to see people come to know Christ, and it's to see people become disciples. And maybe, maybe if what God is saying is not about more meetings, but more meaningful connections with people, people who don't know Jesus yet. And we need to take a look around us and ask ourselves, who who are the people who are becoming Christians these days? In this church, who's becoming Christians these days? Okay? Look around you. Did I give you a fright there? Sorry. <laughs> Look around you today and say, who's becoming Christians? Look around you today and say, who's becoming Christians in this church? And let's ask ourselves a question. You're really struggling with that today. <laughs> ask ourselves a question. Where are they all? You see, because we get so familiar with the method and the things that we're doing, and we've lost sight of the mission, that there are more people outside of this church in our community, about 14,000 people today, and this town alone, not to mention the communities that you represent, because about 46% of the church actually lives in the town of Whitburn. Did you know that? 46% of the church lives in Whitburn. Everybody who's on our senior leadership team exists and lives out with Whitburn. I stay in Longridge, it's only a mile and a half up the road, but I'm not in Whitburn. Where are the people that are getting saved today? See, I think that's what God wants to do, is He wants us to share the message with the people who don't know Jesus yet, and to see them come to faith, and to see them grow as disciples, and to see them going back out and reaching other people for Jesus but we can become so familiar with our way of doing things, so familiar with our religious things that we do, that we've lost sight of the mission, and we've lost sight of the new thing that God, that God wants to reach people. I'm challenging myself as well, that God wants to reach people who are lost. God wants to reach people who will come into this building where you'll not want to leave your handbag sitting on the chair. Think about it. Take a look around you. Because you know everybody in this room, and even the people who are not here today, because it's a holiday weekend, I'm assuming. We know everybody. And we can trust everybody. At least I hope we can. And there's no issue with leaving your handbag on the chair, or me leaving my, my iPad on the lectern. No issue with that. Because we know everybody and we trust everybody. Let me ask you a question. Is that what the church is supposed to be like? Is the church just here to serve our needs? 
come to church and be fed. Oh, that was a rubbish message today. I didn't get anything out of that today. The worship was rubbish. The laptop packed in. What's that all about? That was rubbish today. Hey, let's hope it's better next week, eh? That keyboard was too loud. Oh, I'm not enjoying that. Steve, you need to calm yourself down a bit. <laughs> and church becomes about us and the things that we want out of church. And we've lost sight the fact that there are people in our community who don't know Jesus. And we get upset about all the wrong things. Are we really moved by the fact that there are people in our community who don't know Jesus yet? Are we really genuinely moved by that? And do we want to come and seek God to do something about that through us in a new season? And God wants to do new things and He wants people to get saved and set free and discipled because people in our community are in bondage. Even in the news this weekend, we read about a lady who took her own life. Hopeless situation. And I ask myself, I think about that, where is she now? And that disturbs me because I don't think she knew Jesus. And the people in our community don't know, many of them don't know Jesus. And I think we need to get to a place where we're willing enough to let go of the old stuff, where we're willing enough to be flexible and allow God to come in and do that work in us that makes us ready for the new thing that He wants to do. We need to come to that place. We need to have a willingness in our hearts to do that. Do you know, the response to the message today really is what we do in our own time. It's not what we do here today, whether we stand or sit, whether we raise a hand in response, or whether we don't. You see, I don't actually think that stuff matters very much sometimes, because it's so easy in the moment to stand up and say, that's me, and then we go out of church, and then we forget. You see, the response, the real response is, how does this impact our lives? How does this impact the way I live my life this week? How does this impact my prayer life? Does it impact me enough to pray and ask God to come into me and use me to be a witness, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, and to be open to the things that the Holy Spirit can drop into us that will make a difference? The Holy Spirit wants to drop gifts into us that will make a difference. They're there for the building up of the church, and I believe that means in the community as well, so that people can become part of the church. And I think that God is speaking to us about that. God wants to see these gifts released more and more in the church. Why? That He would get the glory and that people would be drawn to Him. Not drawn to us, but drawn to Him because He's the one who's worthy. He's the one that we come to worship. He's the one that, that, that gives us purpose and meaning in life. He's the one that we need to lean into today. And so I'm going to ask if we just, musicians can come back up we just bow our heads for a moment in prayer. I know today's message has been quite challenging. It's challenging for me, but I really feel that it's a message that God laid in my heart before I went uh, out to the States. And I really feel it's what God wants to say to us today. And our response to what God is saying to us today really is a, 
a private response. It's an individual response, and it's something that we need to come to terms with about Gideon. As I was coming to church, as I was preparing to come to church this morning, about Gideon and how Gideon said, well, you know, the angel of the Lord comes and meets Gideon and he says, well, my clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and, and, and I'm the weakest in my family and, and well, how, how can I do anything? And I think that maybe God is saying that there are people in here today who think, I'm the weakest in my family, what can I do? I'm not the strongest person in the church, what can I do? But we need to realize that it's not about us, it's about what God does through us. You see, Gideon, Gideon led an army to defeat the Midianites who were coming up and destroying uh, the crops of the people. And Gideon, to be fair to him, he rallied together 32,000 people. And God said, you've got too many people to go and destroy this army. And so God gave him instructions to say, tell all the people who are afraid to go home. And he went from 32,000 to 10,000. And God said to him, you've still got too many people. And he said, go and watch the people who drink. And the ones who lift the water up to their mouths, these are the ones who you're going to take. So he went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300 people. Why? Because it wasn't about him or about his strength. It was about what God was going to do in that situation, and God would bring glory to himself. And if we feel weak today, then we're maybe in a good place because God chooses to use the weak things of this world. And so, Father, I just pray this morning, I give myself to you. Father, I give myself to you as a weak vessel. Father, knowing that in myself I have nothing to contain what you want to do. But, Father, I recognize that you're able to make me, make me that vessel. Father, to make me that person who can carry what you want to do. And so, Father, I pray that you come by your Spirit today and that you'd fill me. And, Father, I pray for this congregation that we would recognize that we're all in the same place, that we're all weak in that sense, and we're not able to do the things that you ask us to do unless you come. You see, Father, because none of us are enough unless you come. None of us. And so, Father, we just confess this morning that we need your presence. Lord, that you would come and that you'd breathe upon us. And, Lord, that you would just minister into our hearts. Lord, that you would cause us to be the people that you want us to be. Father, that we would be the flexible people who are able to contain what you want to do in this new season. And so, Father, we pray that long after today has finished, Lord, that we would think on these things, Lord, that we would think about the way that we do things. And Father, that we would be challenged to think about whether we're more focused on the, the method than the mission. And Lord, we pray that you'd come and that you would challenge our hearts. 
Lord, that you would move us in our own quiet time with you. Father, in those times of solitude with you, that you'd come and that you'd speak to us. And remind us, maybe, Father, that it's not about works, lest any of us should boast. None of us have anything to boast about. The salvation that we enjoy is by grace through faith. And so, Father, we pray as we worship you now. Lord, as we give of our tithes and offerings, Lord, we pray that you continue to speak into our hearts. Lord, even through the song that we sing, and Lord, long after the service is finished, Lord, we pray continue to speak into our hearts and challenge us. Lord, we know we can't do this on our own. And Father, that's why we're seeking you. That's why we're seeking you to come into our hearts and lives and to do what only you can do. And so, Father, we pray come. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 